0: Good morning to you all. Been good to be here so far. This morning I want to speak about grace. And can anybody tell me how many times we've uh, sung the word grace this morning? We sang it three times if I kept track. Uh, we would have sang it four if we'd sang the second verse of the last song we just sang. <clears throat> and um, I would say this message this morning is kind of by request, sort of. I was talking to someone and they said,, um, "I need to hear a message about I need to hear about grace and how to survive life." That's what I need to hear in my point in life. And so I thought, you know, there's probably, you know, there might be several of us here that that need to hear that, including me. A little Bible quiz question here at the outset. Where in the Bible is the word grace first mentioned? Noah, in Genesis 8, Genesis 6, it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. <clears throat> and so kind of the, the normal way we do our messages is, um, you know, we have a text and then we expound on the text. Well, this is kind of different this morning um uh, we want to take a theme and then we want to look in Scripture uh, to find support for the theme. And I think grace is a powerful enough theme in Scripture that I think it's probably permissible to, to do it this way uh, for once. <clears throat> the word grace is mentioned over and over and over in Scripture. I wish... I wish when I had started reading through the Bible this year that I would have, um, underlined grace every time I came across it. Uh, it would have been meaningful about 130 times in the New Testament alone. And Paul especially is, uh, a very big fan of grace. He, um, he mentions it 86 times in his epistles. And if you, uh, if you start out in Paul's epistles, Romans, um, let's see here. Verse 7 of chapter 1, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He starts out every one of his epistles with similar words. And then he also ends every one of his epistles sort of the same way. like, uh, let's see what he says at the end of Romans. Uh, The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. And he says something like that, the beginning and end of every epistle. So something mentioned this many times in scripture must be highly important. And that's why we want to look at it today. So for just an introduction, let's read the first eight verses of Ephesians 1. And notice how many times grace is mentioned. Ephesians 1, the first eight verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace. Grace. To you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us before in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. And my translation has a period right there, so I'm going to stop right there. I really like the word lavished right there, verse 8, that that's what God wants to do. He wants to lavish on us his grace. Lavish would mean um, made abundant. And I haven't always felt that way in life. I've spent a fair amount of life feeling overwhelmed and, you know, wondering, you know, how am I going to make it through this? And um, so this morning we want to look at several aspects of grace. We want to define it, first of all, and it's not as easy as you might think because we use the word grace in a lot of different ways. We want to think about how do we receive grace? How, what are some hindrances to living in grace? And finally, there's some responsibilities that go along with grace. And so uh, we'll kind of follow that outline. One way, um, these are some ways grace are used that that's not a part of our discussion this morning, but we might use it to mean elegance or like finesse. Like we could say, the horse cantered with grace around the arena. In other words, the horse was graceful. Uh, That doesn't do, you know, it's nice to look at, but it doesn't help us that much with living. We could use it to mean courteous or using goodwill, like the reporter handled the difficult interview with grace. And this would be where we get our word gracious. Now, I think that connotation is used in, um, I think it's in Luke, where Jesus was talking to the uh, rulers of the synagogue. And no, 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 I'm, I'm wrong it was when he, he opened the scripture and read from Isaiah that the Lord is upon me to uh, bind up the brokenhearted and and uh, bring deliverance to the captives and so on. And it said the people marveled at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. So <clears throat> Jesus was a, 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 a gracious person in that way. We could also use grace as to mean a period of leniency, you know, like uh, the bank has a 30-day grace period on late payments before they start charging you extra interest. I mean, I don't know if they do or not. I just made that up. Uh, So (laughs) with the type of grace we want, we, we don't just want leniency. We want something more. So none of these meanings are really what we're talking about this morning, although we do want to be gracious people. We want to look at the deeper meaning of the grace of God. And so let's see if we can define that. So I found this definition. goes like this, The unmerited divine assistance to humans for their regeneration or sanctification. So to look for support for this definition, let's just jump over to the next chapter of Ephesians. Verse 8. <clears throat> well, I'll start in uh, verse 5. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved <clears throat> and raised us up with him, seated us with him, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And here's the verse we really want. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So this is divine assistance to us, for our regeneration and our sanctification, that's how we, you know, we say we have been saved by grace. And we as humans, we can't regenerate or sanctify ourselves. It's impossible. So it takes this unmerited divine assistance to make that happen. And uh, unmerited means we didn't do anything to merit this, to deserve this but grace is given to us on the merits of Jesus alone. But I think there's another aspect of grace that we need to look at. And while I didn't find this definition, I, I think it would be a valid one, and I'm kind of using the pattern of the first definition. <clears throat> I, I'm saying it like this, Unmerited divine assistance given to humans for their, on, for their ongoing endurance. That's also an aspect of grace. Okay, we need saving grace that God brings us into his family. Um, It's his unmerited favor on us. But then we also need divine assistance for our daily living, for our endurance as we go through life. And I think this is probably what the person meant that told me they need to hear how to live in grace. I don't think they were questioning their salvation, that grace had been given to them, but they were wanting to find grace for daily living. And so now let's turn to uh, 2 Corinthians 12 to uh, look at this aspect of grace. Whoops! I'm in First Corinthians. <clears throat> All right, this is where Paul is talking about his thorn in the flesh that was bothering him greatly. Say it was tormenting him. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness. Okay, this is the, it's, this is the living grace that we need. Isn't this what we're looking for? Uh, this power that God can give us to persevere. Persevere. that we feel that we can feel god's grace upholding us when uh, we're in the middle of whatever it is we're facing <clears throat> so let's back up a little bit now in our thoughts and um are we sure grace is is what we're looking for you know there are a lot of other good words out there like mercy or like justice you know uh social justice is a is a big cry out there these days. We need justice. And, uh, there are many churches that have got on the social justice bandwagon. And that's what they preach is social justice. Um, now there's a measure of that that we can go along with. And we want justice. You know, we're, um, the situation over in Israel. You know, what is justice? It's, it's more complicated than you might think. Um, you know, because some of the Palestinians have been living there longer than some of the Israelites. And so these things are very complicated. Um, And mercy, you know, mercy is such a good thing. And now this might surprise you, but for myself, I don't want justice. And uh, I'll explain why. And I certainly want mercy. Mercy. But I don't want it, I don't want to stop there. I want I want more. What I really, really want is grace. And uh, <clears throat> I came up with a song a couple years ago that explains what I'm what I'm trying to say. And I'll just I won't sing it, I'll just read it, okay? And uh <clears throat> I, I entitled it, I'm Looking for Grace. And it goes like this. As I'm traveling through this world below, everywhere I look, there's a tale of woe. Folks being cheated, mistreated, and generally brought down low. Hearts are hurting on every hand, all up and down and over this land. The cry is justice. Yes, justice is what we need. But here's the chorus. But I'm looking for grace. I want no parts of justice for me. Justice would condemn me for the guilty man I am. But I've heard tell that the God I serve wants to pour on me what I don't deserve. I'm looking for grace, full abounding, overflowing, so rich and free. Now, mercy is a good and a wonderful thing because there's nothing good in my hands I bring. It's simply to the old rugged cross I cling. But I still want grace, It's like a burning fire within my bones, a longing like nothing that I've ever known. Lord, I'm craving your grace, full abounding, overflowing, so rich and free. When my Lord Jesus bled and he died, that's when the blessing gate swung open wide. I'm talking about grace, full abounding, overflowing, so rich and free. Since I was born a poor, lost, starving man, If I'm going to make it through this barren land, I've got to have grace, full, abounding, overflowing, so rich and free. And then the chorus again. I'm looking for grace. I want no parts of justice for me. Justice would condemn me for the guilty man I am. But I've heard tell that the God I serve wants to pour on me what I don't deserve. I'm looking for grace, full, abounding, overflowing, so rich and free. <clears throat> so grace is what we need. You know mercy is a good and a wonderful thing but it doesn't have the scope of grace. Imagine I, I pictured it in my mind this way. <clears throat> Imagine you're you're in prison, okay? And the reason you're in prison is because justice has caught up with you. That's why you're there. But the judge decides to show mercy on you. And he comes and he says, I'm getting you out of this prison. Well, you're very thankful for mercy, right? And so he he takes you out of prison and releases you and he drops you off by the side of the road. So you're free. You've been forgiven. Your sentence has been commuted. um, Mercy has done all that. But you have nothing. (laughs) Nothing. You have nowhere to go. You have no resources. And then grace stops by and said, get in. This is just the beginning of your life. I've got all kinds of things, good things in store for you. That's grace. And I've heard it illustrated in another really simple way. This is, this is the children's version. And let's say a child has misbehaved greatly, and he's awaiting his sentence. And what would, what would justice do? I don't know what y'all do these days, but, you know, in the old days, uh, dad would tan his little hide. <coughs> um, that's, you know, that's within, the, we don't have time to go there. There's a way to do that, and there's a way to not to do that, okay, but. Let's let's say dad just talks to the little guy and dad decides this time we're going to have mercy. So what would mercy look like? Well, mercy would be withholding the justice that he was due. And then a little later dad says, "You know, let's go out and get some ice cream." That's grace. <laughs> he didn't <laughs> he didn't deserve that one. <clears throat> There's a picture of grace that I like in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel 9. It's the story of Mephibosheth. Now, Mephibosheth Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan was the son of Saul. And David and Jonathan were were absolute... um, what would you call it? They were um, they were closer than brothers. And they had made vows to each other of friendship and so on. <clears throat> and then Jonathan was killed in battle. And Saul, well, the same day, they were both killed in battle. And then the kingdom went to David. And once David got kind of settled and so on, um, he asked the question, are there any is there any descendants of the house of Saul uh, that I could show kindness to because of my relationship with Jonathan? And this was unusual because in, in the days of the kings, a whole lot of times when when one king rose up, you know, all the descendants of the previous king were were done away with. And so they said, yes, there, there's one man named Mephibosheth, who is uh, Jonathan's son. He's he's crippled in both his feet. And so David David calls him in. And I don't know what Mephibosheth's lot was before this. It it says where he lived. He lived in a certain household in this place called Lodibar. uh, But we do know Mephibosheth's estimation of himself when David asks him, um, tells him, "Don't fear. I want. I want. Uh, don't be afraid. I want to show kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan. And you're going to eat at my table regularly." And Mephibosheth says, "What is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me?" <clears throat> so that was Mephibosheth's estimation of himself in the face of the king. <clears throat> And uh, so he went from whatever his existence was before, probably pretty meager, to sitting at the king's table like one of the king's sons. Had Mephibosheth done anything to deserve this treatment? Not a thing. It, it 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 was the relationship that David had with Jonathan And so I think this is a picture of grace and a picture of of how our lives can be. You know, what were we in the sight of God? You know, nothing. Poor lost sinners. And he picks us up and cleans us up and says, come sit at my table. That's grace. That sounds kind of like, seemed like we heard something about sitting at the king's table on Wednesday nights lately. So that's grace for redemption. And now let's, let's move on and talk about the grace we need for daily living. How do we receive that grace that we need? How can we lean back into it and rest in the grace of God? So let's go back to our... 1st and 2nd Corinthians 12. And let's look at verse 9 again where Paul says, My grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in weakness. So let's just fill in some of our own endings to that verse. And let's try this one for size. My grace is sufficient for you and my power is perfected in keeping a stiff upper lip and acting like I have it all together. Have we tried that one before? Or my power is perfected in me giving my absolute last ounce of energy down to the last drop. Tried that one. Or my power is perfected in me struggling on by sheer willpower alone. Isn't what it says is it is it It says his power is perfected in weakness Is it possible that God's grace doesn't kick in until we've reached a place of weakness Until we've reached a place of surrender Now I would suggest let's not wait until we've used our last ounce of energy or until we've struggled on by sheer willpower. I would suggest let's surrender. Let's come to that. When I say a place of weakness, I don't mean that we've come to the end of our hoarded resources like the song says. <clears throat> let's, let's recognize that we, we are a per, people of weakness And, you know, let's surrender that ahead of time before we have to come all the way to the end of the rope and tie the knot on the end and hold on like they say. I think worry is an enemy of grace. I don't think we're resting in God's grace when we're worrying. And I should know. I'm not just speaking to you on that one. And I I didn't worry much when I was young. And I was kind of proud of myself about that. All these people that worry about things that most of them, most of the things don't even happen. But now as I look back, I don't really think I was living in grace so much as I was just an uneducated optimist. Um, I didn't realize what all what all life can throw at you. So I'm more educated now. It's been in the school of hard knocks. And uh, so sometimes I wake up, actually this happens to me fairly often. I wake up in the middle of the night and you know what I do? I worry. You know, I can feel this little twist in my gut about something and I can't relax enough to go back to sleep. And somehow, I'm not finding the measure of God's grace that I need. I worry about quite a few things. Uh, Lately, I've worried about Myron. Don't tell him, I said so. have these memories of six years ago when he had his breakdown and and now the last little bit, things have been a little bumpy. And, and um, I worry about things like that. I know you have worries. But the other night I thought, you know, God was looking out for Myron before we ever knew he existed. And he missed being aborted by one day. He he was still in his mother's womb. And we didn't know him. We didn't. God was able to care for him. Don't you suppose God can care for him now? When he's all grown up and bigger? So here is how I find peace is when I surrender. And it, it doesn't, it's just not just that easy. But like I'll pray, you know, on whatever my worry is, I said, God, I can't, I I don't know how to fix that. I don't know what to do. Um, and I can't do anything about it. I'll, uh, you know, it's in your hands. Can, can I just give it to you? And you know he's ready. And then when I can finally do that, I can fall asleep. At least till the next night. (laughs) But I wonder, you know, I'd like to compare God's grace to the manna in the wilderness. How did God give those people sustenance did he dump it all on on him at once a year's supply say here you go you know no worries for a whole year no he didn't he did it one day at a time and we we'd love to store up grace you know if we could just no, if we could have the assurance all our problems would work out you know and we'd have a uh A nice, free, easy spell for a whole year. Oh, that would be so great, wouldn't it? Well, it's not going to happen. But God did say he would give us grace. And I think the best way to think of grace is like the manna, one day at a time. And let's, you know, how do you, how do you get a hold of God's grace? I'm not sure if I can tell you. I think it's about surrender. I think it's about feeding on the manna that God supplies. You know, immersing yourself in scripture, filling your mind with that, uh, prayer. I saw something I really liked on uh, Mary Jane's daughter Angela's, one of her, Facebook post here several days ago, and it said, uh, do you ever feel guilty about falling asleep when you pray? And then underneath that it said, because I'm pretty sure I probably usually do that. Uh, Underneath it said, well, do you feel offended when your child falls asleep in, in your arms? Of course you don't. Underneath that it said, well, I'm glad we've got that settled. So this is the picture I get of when we worry. You know, it's like we're in the wilderness, you know, we're it's all this barren ground, we don't know how we're going to make it. And we're out there with a hoe, you know, trying to, you know, grow us a little sustenance in this barren ground. When the man is falling all around us. God help us to open our eyes and see it and get a hold of it. And I'll say this too. If you're in the middle of a trial and you might feel like God's grace is just barely sufficient. I think sometimes when you get on the far side of that trial, there'll there'll be more, but you look back and you say, oh, I, I can see now, God's grace was there. And here's a statement I'll make. If you wonder if you're receiving a grace or not, if your outlook is a fair amount better than the sum total of the facts of your circumstances, you're getting some grace. You know, sometimes we add up all the facts of our circumstances, and you know, they're somewhere below the below the ledger. <clears throat> but with God's grace, the outlook can be different. So one final thought. <clears throat> is that we need to just not consume all this grace ourselves. We need it. Obviously, we do. But let's be channels of God's grace. Let's not just be consumers. I want to read a verse from 1 Peter. Chapter 4, verse 10. Above all keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multiple multitude of sins be hospitable to one another without complaint as each one has received a special gift employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God so grace is just not something we need personally it's something that we're supposed to be good stewards of that we're supposed to Spread God's grace around. I I know, you know, we can't give it. God is the one that gives grace, but we can show it. We can um, help people see that it's there. And we can be used of God in that way. The manifold grace of God. God's grace, um, those of you that know about motors, know about what a manifold is—it's a bunch of pipes that come together. And uh, I think a manifold could also work the other way—a bunch of pipes coming out, and um, you know, giving full flow to whatever it is. And that's the way God's grace is—it's many faceted, and um, it's it's there in abundance. And I just want to say too that when I look around this room and I, I can see that God's grace. I can see God's grace in some of your lives. And that gives me courage to lean further back into God's grace myself. So let's encourage each other in the grace of God. I want to close by reading a couple of the words to several songs. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added afflictions he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials he mul- his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed... Ere the day is half done. When we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting, availing. The Father, both thee and thy load, will upbear. His love has no limits, his grace has no measure. His power and no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. And the other one is uh, entitled The Strength of the Lord. And the word grace isn't mentioned in the song, but I think we could take the word strength out and we could put grace in there. In fact, I I just read it that way this this morning. <clears throat> Sometimes life seems like words and music that can't quite become a song. So we cry and sigh and then we try again and wonder what could be wrong. But when we turn to the Lord at the end of ourselves, like we've done a time or two before, we find his truth is the same as it's always been. We never will need more. And then the chorus goes, it's not in trying, but in trusting. It's not in running, but in resting. Not in wondering, but in praying that we found the grace of the Lord. He's all we need for our every need. We never need be alone. Still, he'll let us go if we choose to, to live life on our own. Then the only good that will ever be said of the pain we find ourselves in, there are places to gain the wisdom to say, I'll never leave him again. It's not in trying, but in trusting. It's not in running, but in resting. Not in wondering, but in praying that we find the grace of the Lord. People go in the grace of God.